welcome to another episode of Andy Here's the 80s, the show where we take a look at the music of the 1980s and figure out exactly what's worth adding to the record collection. I'm your host, Andy, joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Keck. Hello. And this week, we are taking a look at the wide world of pop music. I've put it off for long enough. Uh, <laughs> we've narrowed it down to five albums that I've uh, deemed worthy to add to the collection. And, uh, you know, I like all the episodes, I like to take a look at... Um, you know the the wide breadth of uh, of sounds you might find in a specific genre, and I think we did that this week. You did pretty good this week. Although pop music is such a wide, yeah. I mean, pop music is anything that sells more than five hundred thousand mm-hmm. copies, right? Basically. Yeah, and this is the I wrote in here the other episode. The other name for this episode could have been just I didn't know where else to put these, <laughs> so here they are. I mean, uh, we've already kind of done a pop week, right? We did the yeah. the mega, mega hits mm-hmm. with U2 and, and Prince and everything. And the fascinating thing, and we're going to get to this uh, with at least one or two of the albums here, is what defines a pop album is very nebulous. Like, yeah. you can listen to a certain album and say, oh, yeah, that's gonna that's pop, that's going to sell well, mm-hmm. that's going to be mainstream. And then there are other albums that, no, this is, this is not pop. This is experimental. Right. This is new wave. This is not mainstream at all and then it comes out and sells five mm-hmm. million copies like there are points on purple rain for instance oh, yeah. where i'm like no one's gonna go for this mm-hmm. you're just screaming into the microphone at yeah, this exactly. point prince and the song is eight minutes in but <laughs> everyone loved it it's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's a bizarre thing yeah sometimes you can just have like a pop single on an album and then you get listen to the whole thing and you're like well right. this isn't really a pop album at all but <laughs> yeah but yeah, it's it's fun. And then you're to disappointed see. in returning it to the store. <laughs> yeah, right. Or or in the case of uh, Joy Division slash New Order, you release and you release a single, yeah. and then you put out an album that doesn't even have the single on yeah, it, exactly. and just piss everyone off. <laughs> if you want that, buy the single. Buy the if single. Not, here's yeah. the album. Yeah. Uh, but these are, you know, I, I tried to get ones that weren't the stereotypical '80s pop. You know, that we that tends to uh, be the butt of every joke. Right. I mean, the pop synthesizers, the bubble gum, the shopping mall, kind of like. You know that that kind of sound you hear that, but some of these. So I no think, Tiffany and no Starship is yes. what you're saying. Okay, <laughs> yeah, good. basically yeah. done. Yeah, the uh, Tiffany and uh, hair metal. Those, those were the t- two oh, hair bands. Yeah, yeah of dis- course. Discreet uh, exclusions. Yeah, we had these. a conversation about this, and you're you're very big on on uh, this this podcast being a real comprehensive look at the '80s minus hair yeah. metal. Yeah, there it's will funny. Not be a hair metal episode. I, I'm always keyed into whatever guitars on all these albums, and as such a, I guess, guitar-driven medium as hair metal is. Yeah, something about it completely doesn't interest me at all. It's because it's it's because it seems phony, right? Yeah, I, mean, I think so. It's almost a parody of guitar-driven, mm-hmm. like with the bombastic guitar solos that are kind of virtuosic virtue virtuosic is that a word yeah it is now uh <laughs> but not really mm-hmm. and yeah yeah it's I, like I get where you're coming from with that. fast for the sake of fast right and like yeah although we did do hardcore punk which is right but that even that had more like for the sake of being that fast, had more right? emotion and uh re- like i don't know not realism but like more authenticity to it i think more than... emotion have you heard more than words <laughs> that's a classic <laughs> It says it right not there. even sure it's in the 80s. It's not just words. It's more than it's words. It's more than words. <laughs> but anyway, the, <laughs> <laughs> moving on from that, uh, the very first album we're going to be taking a look at here is uh, 
from September of 1983, Sports by Huey Lewis in the News. Because we really want to focus this week on emotion-driven, yeah, just yeah, real realistic. authenticity yep, from the yep. heart. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and what down. says all of that better than Huey Lewis? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one, uh, you know, is something that seemed probably inescapable at the time. Uh, it was... Uh, these had four top 10 hits on here. This was kind of the breakthrough record for this group. Uh, Huey Lewis himself uh, was a San Francisco native who actually was in a band called Clover in the 70s from 71 to 78 that had little to no success. I'd never heard of him. Yeah. Worked with uh, Mutt Lang as a producer, though. Mm-hmm. So they had they had connections. They yeah. just didn't have hits. And in fact, there's a... Uh, uh, behind the music that I dug up and watched on Huey Lewis oh, God. Uh, that uh, went into it. And really, like, you know, they played a couple of the songs and he and in the interviews with him, he's like, you know, we never really like settled on the sound. You know, we're together for eight years, but it couldn't really figure out what everybody had a different opinion on what the band should be. And so when that went nowhere, he kind of retired back to San Francisco, just got a group of his actual friends together and started a band called The News. And then he they took up a little residency in a San Francisco bar and thought, all right, well, this is good. This is all we need to do. And signed a record deal, put out a debut in 1980 that didn't really do anything. Uh, 82, their next album, Picture This, had the single Do You Believe in Love, which started to put them on the map. And then this one comes out in 83 and completely blows up. What is the behind the music for Huey Lewis in the news? Because the behind the music classic trope is oh we shot to success and Mm -hmm. then everything went awry and everyone fought with each other and then drugs got involved i don't feel like that's the huey lewis in the news story the uh the adversity for him you know as a childhood his parents got divorced so he went off to boarding school and then uh, in college just kind of bummed around europe for a while just busking in various cities and then started clover which went nowhere so that's kind of the uh Mm -hmm. oh i guess rock and roll is not going to be for me anyway and so then but then ends up finding success afterwards. Huge success, yeah. It's very similar. And and Huey Lewis and Weird Al Yankovic have kind of those occasional moments of collaboration with each other. So it makes sense that that reminds me of the Weird Al behind the music. It's like, <laughs> I never faced any adversity. My my uh, my next album went gold instead of platinum. Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the he did face a little bit of uh, adversity after this. Not maybe not adversity, but certainly troubles. Uh, I'll play a little bit of a song here, and then maybe you'll know where I'm going with this. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of I Want a New Drug. I Want a New Drug. Yeah, I already know where you're (laughs) going with this. Ghostbusters. Yeah. When you're looking for a new drug, who are you going to call but Huey Lewis? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he was approached to do uh, a song for Ghostbusters, the movie, uh, turned it down, and they were ended up using this as a temp track in all of their like, edits. 
and then turned to uh, who was it? Ray Parker. Ray Jr. Parker Jr. Yeah. Who then clearly heard the temp track and said, "Okay, I can do that, but maybe a just barely different." And so then makes the Ghostbusters theme song. Yeah. Uh, and then Huey Lewis heard that, of course, and ended up suing, and they settled out of court for an undisclosed amount, which he then uh, commented on in that Behind the Music, which then opened up another lawsuit where Ray Parker Jr. sued him for discussing the agreement. Right. And then there was another settlement. It's the first settlement. time when uh, Behind the Music uh, created adversity as <laughs> yeah, opposed exactly. to just people discussing just it. it. Yeah. Yeah, so it it was funny. I had heard that story a while ago, forgot about it, and then was listening to this. And as soon as I heard this song, I was like, "Oh yeah, oh, yeah." yeah. <laughs> but it's it is funny how I mean, it sounds almost exactly the same. Yeah, there's certainly reason for a lawsuit. And then that was actually part of the reason why then in '85 he would appear and do music for Back to the Future, where he's like, "Look, if a studio's going to approach me and then just <laughs> take the song anyway, I might as well do it myself." So and that one. Uh, no, he put out two good songs for that, and right. ended up even appearing and in the movie. And cameo in yeah. the movie, right? Yeah, that was uh, that was fun. Although uh, it's it's a good gig to be Huey Lewis, and and by the way, like I I really like this album. Yeah. Like it's great pop music. Like the songs are the songs are really fun to listen to. Really good gig to be Huey Lewis because not only are you getting approached by producers to contribute to the soundtrack of movies you're mm-hmm. getting approached to contribute to soundtracks ba- to ghostbusters and back to the future yeah, exactly. back to back <laughs> it's not like someone came up and says we're making this movie called ishtar and we'd really like your yeah. help on this <laughs> yeah it was not any just like some art house film that a hundred people saw these yeah. are the biggest movies of the decade uh, but yeah, I think this is a good record still I, I think it is kind of like I'm listening to it kind of trying to figure out like what what is he really like what kind of music would you call this? I mean, it's just kind of like uh, kind of R&B rock. I decided eventually it's making me think of like Springsteen Light, you know, Pretty kind much, of like yeah. Diet Springfield is what I was thinking of. Yeah. Which, uh, and really, I mean, yeah. Actually, like, I think Springfield is <laughs> Springfield. a good <laughs> name for this genre because yeah. you got Huey Lewis in there, uh, maybe Mellencamp. Yeah, maybe like uh, Brian Adams. Uh, occasionally Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like... The 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 '80s version of Blue Eyed Soul. Kind yes. Of like, yeah. 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 But uh, but yeah, they're all catchy tunes. They they're they're fun to listen to. Still, I think uh, it doesn't he doesn't take himself too seriously too, mm-hmm. which helps. You know, he's not uh, even in that behind the music he comes off as very. Oh yeah, like, like just, they're having fun. And, yeah. Like, yeah, I love it. Yeah, he, he put together a band with his friends and then didn't expect to go anywhere, and it did, and it didn't go to his head. So yeah, kind of a win for everybody. It's cool because for for this album, I think, and I'm looking at the order of the albums that you've got stacked up here. We're just going to continue to get increasingly serious as the yeah, uh, true. as this episode goes on. So to start with Huey Lewis, it's like I'm making I'm making fun music. If you like it, listen to it. If not, eh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the other fun thing I learned from that behind the music was that uh, when he was writing the Heart of Rock and Roll, he was inspired by a gig that they played in Cleveland that went really well. And so the original chorus was the heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland, which is a much probably less, uh, I don't know, wide selling or wide appealing uh, chorus to a song. But I can. can I mean, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It's just funny, too, because then the song references about a dozen other cities. Right. That are not Cleveland. Yes. So not only was it the original chorus, it got completely written out of the song. after that. <laughs> Does it even mention Cleveland at any point in the song? No. no? That's good. <laughs> New York, L.A., about a half dozen other cities, yeah. and then that's it. It does also start off uh, 
the same way as uh, one of my favorite albums, Dark Side of the Moon. The very first thing you hear is a little heartbeat oh, of the heart yeah. of rock and roll. Yeah. It's like, I thought that was funny. I mean, uh, Pink Floyd, uh, Dark Side ends with a heartbeat, right? So this it begins is... Uh, Begins and ends. Mm-hmm. So this picks up right where Dark Side exactly. of the Moon left off. Okay. Yeah, yeah really. Right. Yeah, when you're watching Wizard of Oz, as soon as Dark Side's over, <laughs> just put on sports. Of the news. Yeah, it syncs up perfectly. <laughs> Someone's got to try that. <laughs> I bet it does. I, I bet it does too. All right. Next up, we've got uh, from May of 1984. This is Private Dancer by Tina Turner. Slightly more serious. Slightly more serious. And another kind of uh, much, much bigger, but another second act kind of. uh. Yeah. Now, I see a lot of these songs like we we uh, we think of this as, you know, her comeback album Mm -hmm. and the adversity that she went through in the, the 10, 15 years before that. And like a song like What's Love Got to Do With It, which is very like deep and heartfelt and meaningful and mm-hmm. private dance are kind of the same thing but this is a super fun album too. oh yeah 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 it really captures like the uh the energy that you would bring to a mm-hmm. song I, I mean these are all uh these are ones that were kind of corralled by her uh her manager at the time uh roger davies who like who saw her doing like vegas shows and stuff after the i can turn or i can tina review and so, and like she, she knew that this was like a this is a rock star. I could get a bunch of rock songs together and yeah. put out a great album with her, and this would, and it fit perfectly. Yeah. But uh, so, I mean, if you need to know the info, I mean, she was born Anime Bullock, Nash Bush, or Nutbush, Tennessee, nineteen thirty nine. Of course, would go on to uh, meet up with Ike Turner and do the Ike and Tina review. He uh, marries her. They go. They have a very uh, abusive and unhealthy marriage which separates in 78 finally uh, and then this becomes kind of her re uh, I don't want to say rebirth but like a reintroduction kind of to, yeah. to the uh, national crowd uh, and I want to play a little sample of one of the songs I hadn't heard before but I think really kind of encapsulates the direction that she went in uh, and is also does, takes less than a minute to get into <laughs> unlike some of the longer ones yeah uh, this is uh, Steel Claw. Oh, this is my favorite song off the album. <laughs> this one's really it's good. It's like the least known song, and it's my favorite.
Yeah, that's a yeah great I'm song. glad you picked that song because <laughs> of uh, there's some great songs on the album. Like, what's mm-hmm. love got to do with it? You oh, could yeah. make a case that that's arguably the best. Or if you're making a list of like the 10 or 20 best songs of the 80s, mm-hmm. that one could definitely be. I put it, Private Dancer on there too. I'm not a big fan of Private Dancer. Really. Private Dancer is long and slow. It is. Uh, but Steel Claw just has that fun beat. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, it's it's very Tina Turner. I mean, yeah. you're exactly right. She's got that gravelly, I've been through it all kind of voice. She's singing about kind of dark topics even in Steel mm-hmm. Claw, but she's powering through it. She's she's having yeah. – she is going to enjoy herself in the face of adversity, and that's what this album is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It has such great energy, and it's so it's such a fun record. And you can hear uh, – there, there is a uh, – for this uh, album I watched, they had a uh, VH1 special, uh, not a behind the music, but some other program uh, about her. And there's an interview with um, Mick Jagger where he's like, any stage presence I have, I learned from Tina Turner. Yeah. Which is, it's funny to watch him now knowing that and like, oh yeah, you're totally right. Pretty much, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can't get any better than that. Yeah. Tina Turner, which was a trademark name, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. That uh, that Anna Mae Bullock is is her name originally, and and I gave her the name Tina Turner, and then trademarked it in case she left yeah. the group and someone else could step in and be Tina exactly. Turner. Yeah, but she was just so good at it that it became hers. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. wild. Yeah, and if you look uh, that VH1, I think it's a VH1 Legends special mm-hmm. if look at yeah it goes into that whole backstory as well just the, yeah the fact that ike saw her knew as a star gave her a name and trademarked it like that's already obviously a red flag for right gate, right but, and it only got worse but are you getting all of your information about the 80s from vh1 because that's what <laughs> vh1 is or because <laughs> yeah, that's just right. where you as a person decided yeah, it, to go it didn't make sense until now but yeah you're right <laughs> usually i'll just put in the artist's name and type like Tina Turner documentary and then see what pops up. There you go. Nine times out of 10, it's a VH1. VH1. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, you know, this is, this, you hear it and you understand why it's so successful. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. even, even the most surprising thing to me was that half of these are covers too. Like 1984 from David Bowie, help from the Beatles. Right. Let's Uh, stay together. Is that, let's stay together. Yeah. Yeah. Steel Uh, claw is a cover. Well, it was written for. I don't know if anybody performed I it. I think someone uh, performed it before. Oh, really? I could be wrong about that. But uh, what else was Oh, I Can't Stand the Rain. Yeah, like, I yeah. mean, half of the songs on here are covers, but the, but she finds a way to make them her own, too. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's that's Tina Turner, right? I yeah. mean, you go back to when she was with Ike. What's her mm-hmm. What's her big song? Proud Mary, uh, yeah. which is a CCR CCR. song. What's the other one? Um, oh, crap. Uh, Proud Mary is the one that I was thinking of right. first. But yeah, that's... Uh, Mm-hmm. That's Tina. Yeah, and and this one would go on. This could have been in that big album's first episode, right? This is twenty million mm-hmm. as of twenty eleven. Four Grammys from this. This it's is a good a companion landmark. album to Purple Rain, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. because this is another. This is another album where the vocals are just re- like she goes for oh, it yeah. in so many of these songs in a way that if I'm a record company executive and I'm listening to this album for the first time, I'm like ah know if this is gonna hit with the Mm -hmm. the kids of today and then it gets released and it does because she's just so good yeah that like yep i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna scream my way through this uh through this song trust me this is gonna be awesome right yeah and and there is versatility too i mean steel claw private dancer and Mm -hmm. what's love got to do with it those are all three very different songs oh yeah and she does them all 
yeah. in a different way. That's I we're talking about Steel Claw. That's like the the least popular <laughs> song on this entire album, but if but I feel like anybody who's heard it has to be like, oh yeah, that's a great. Yeah, song. that song. Yeah. Right. They might not think of it even in the you know in the uh, well. I, granted, I would think of it in the top three, but that's because I just listened to it and I love the song. But <laughs> I would uh, hopefully anybody else would put it in the top three as well. And if you don't, you're objectively wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're wrong to do so. You are wrong, sir. <laughs> Now, moving on to our next one, we've got uh, from February of 1986, Control by Janet Jackson. This one I actually don't like as much. The first two, um, I'm totally on board with. I think there was something about the... I think there was something about the first song on this, which is Mm -hmm. the title track, that just kind of turned me off. Like, man, we're, we're just going straight forward and... And saying exactly what the theme is without any nuance Uh whatsoever. Uh, Yeah, this one, it actually grew on me. At first, I wasn't totally on board. I liked the first song, and I I liked the mission statement of it. But Mm -hmm. uh, the production is still that. It is the most 80s of the ones today. Uh, It it was uh, produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis of the time. and this was her third solo album, technically, but really it's her first one without her father involved, mm-hmm. which is where the control comes in. Hence the control. And she, I mean, the, the one thing that you, that I can't, definitely can't say about this album, well, two mm-hmm. things. Number one, any qualms I have about the album, Nasty is an awesome song, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, she's, what, 19 years old when she's yeah. recording this. Uh, so for for this album to come out and to have as mm-hmm. clear a voice and a presence as she has and like you said a mission statement yeah. uh that's that's really significant for mm-hmm. someone who's that young to oh, come yeah, out with definitely. an album like this like, and, it's a very mature album yeah as she's younger than all of the jackson brothers right uh, she still kind of grew up in that family obviously but went more the acting route initially she was on good times. jackson's variety show different strokes good times yeah uh then fame was the last thing she oh, really did yeah uh and that was actually she had such a terrible time on that that she that was part of along with getting out of control of her father was like what kind of sprung this to kind of move on because mm-hmm. she put the first two solo albums she put out i think during fame uh but then but they were completely different they weren't anything like this and so then teams up with jam and lewis to put out this one which and she has a producer credit on every track on here she has writing credit on all but two of them so i mean this is a very much janet jackson album oh yeah uh let's see i want to play uh number five the pleasure principle i think this one ended up being my favorite okay
I feel like if you wanted to do a podcast called Andy Hears the 80s, you could have just played that song and been like, <laughs> yep, we're done. That's, yeah. that's, that's the 80s right there. It is. There. The, the, like I said, the first pass, I was like, okay, this is, in a way, this is kind of what I was avoiding the whole time, right? Yeah. This is that very artificial, synthy kind of production. But the more, the more I listened to it, I don't know, the more it grew on me. I think if you're going to listen to one stereotypical album, I think I would make it this one. It's, that's, not a bad, that's not a bad call. The thing, it's just, I, I don't think this album has depth. Really? Is the problem like and and the the chorus of the pleasure principle like mm-hmm. it's the pleasure principle. All right, we need another line. We need a second line to just sort of elaborate on the theme of the song and just sort of delve a little bit further into what we're talking about. What is a lyric that that goes beyond it's the pleasure <laughs> principle that really encapsulates like the meaning? It's the principle of pleasure. Like nailed it. <laughs> you could have just done the same line over again, and it would have been better. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, something about the the melodies on here, I think, are very catchy. I think it has really interesting. Like, there's they mix up the rhythms of this enough. You know, there's that there's kind of the swing rhythms of like nasty and what have you done for me lately. Like, uh, there was enough variety, but I think it just wasn't quite uh, wasn't quite as obvious, I guess, uh, to me the first time around. Okay. But I don't know. I'll, like give, it, I'll give it a second listen. I love the. I, I like the singles off mm-hmm. of it. I love Nasty. That's a yeah. fantastic song. Uh, although it just makes me want to go back to the the Kate Beaton Hark a Vagrant uh, riff on Nasty, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, in which the protagonist is the nasty boy that he's singing <laughs> to. Uh, but it's just the whole album just doesn't quite come together for me in the same way that Private Dancer does. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they're different. They're different styles too. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the Tina Turner's more rock centric, whereas this is very much more synth. That might but. even be what it is for me. Like Tina Turner, like Private Dancer, is an album that can be placed in other times besides 1984. And Janet Jackson, mm-hmm. this particular album, at least, and I mean, Janet Jackson's going to go on and have an awesome oh, yeah. career. This particular album is 1985 1986 mm-hmm. like this only fits here right that is true and yeah. she would uh stick with jam and lewis as producers for the next 20 years so they would continue to evolve that sound over the course of two decades right and, and then they did reunite in 2015 for her unbreakable album uh and i think the her very next one rhythm nation came out in 89 i think even that was probably a, a growth uh from oh this. yeah yeah so, I mean, she certainly was not averse to taking risks and then while also working within the style of the time. Yeah. And I mean, control is a risk. I mean, you yeah. mentioned, you mentioned like she has two albums, which are a different sound. Mm-hmm. They're still kind of gelling, coming into her own as a performer. And here is the, the moment when she comes into her own as a performer. She just does it in 1985. And like, right. that is definitely the, the time in which she's uh, putting this together. Yeah. It sounds the most of its time, but I think uh, the... The message that she has in it of taking control and and being herself, especially for being so young, mm-hmm. is I think still really translates to today. Today is when it translates to today, the day you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, next up, a uh, very different direction. We're going to go in with uh, April of 1988. We get the self-titled debut album of Tracy Chapman. And this now is an album that I think fits into any time. Yes, definitely. Yeah. There's no there's no synth, there's no drum kit, there's mm-hmm. nothing distinctively eighties about right. this album at all. Except maybe maybe the subject matter. 
Even and then, even then, it's very yeah. relevant. I mean, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely kind of the the Reagan era depression, frustration, mm -hmm. like let's stand up and do something. But that's not even bound to its time either. No, not at all. Yeah. I think, if anything, uh, circumstances around it, you could say, are eighties related because one of the big things that uh, she found her first success in was performing at. Uh, uh, benefit for Nelson Mandela while he was still yeah that's uh, right in prison so that's really the only specifically eighties element really you yeah. could, you could find about I it. also like uh, the story of Tracy Chapman's success which mm -hmm. is that she's literally discovered while playing in a coffee shop yeah like this is the dream mm -hmm. of of everyone like yeah. to to be playing and to have someone sitting in the back going that song right there. That speaks to me. Right. Yeah, totally. Also, I own a studio and I have <laughs> right. connections and I can get you produced. Yeah. She was uh, born in Cleveland, where the heart of rock and roll heart is. Heart of rock and roll, right. Uh, and then was uh, actually went to, she won a scholarship to attend a boarding school in Connecticut and then eventually went to Tufts after that. And yeah, was busking around the campus and was spotted by uh, a fellow student named Brian Koppelman, whose, I think, father had a music publishing company. So, yeah, exactly. It's all about who you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and she actually, uh, smartly to her credit, recorded her own demos at the Tufts College so she would retain all copyrights to them. Uh, but then eventually, with the help of the compliments, went, got signed to Elektra, and this album comes out in 88. She plays that benefit in, in I think, also 88. Uh, and Fast Car becomes... And plays Fast Car at <laughs> the benefit, yeah. right? Yeah. It becomes one of the biggest songs of the 80s. Yeah. And as I just said it about what's love got to do with it, but I think you could make a real strong case that Fast Car is the best song of the decade. Yeah, definitely top ten. Yeah. Uh, well, should we go ahead and just play that? Uh, we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a minute to get going. We'll see if I have to trim it down <laughs> at all. But. Got a problem. He did with the bottle, that's the way it is. He says his body's too old for working. His body's too young to look like his. My mama went off and left him. She wanted more from life than he could give. I said, somebody's got to take care of him. So I quit school, and that's what I did. You got a fast car. Is it fast enough so we can fly away? We gotta make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car. Speed so fast, I felt like I was drunk. City lights day out before us, and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. Someone. You got to play the song for two minutes to get to the chorus, mm -hmm. but it's worth it, right? Yeah, definitely. Oh. Yeah. So, so Tracy Chapman in this song avoids the mistake that Springsteen made mm -hmm. in Born in the USA. I have always, always thought, and there's another great song about depression and frustration in mm -hmm. the Reagan era coming from a different perspective, but I've always thought that the reason that song 
was a failure mm-hmm. insofar as people listened to it and, and thought, yay, it. America, yeah. mm-hmm. and it became this awesome album, was that he put the chorus in the song too soon. Yeah, I think if he had recorded all of the verses and just saved that Born in the USA chorus until the very mm-hmm. end, the message would have been a lot more clear what his point was. The fact that he just keeps repeating born in the usa over Mm -hmm. and over again throughout the song is what led a lot of his listeners to think oh this is a great patriotic album or anthem which is exactly the opposite of what it was tracy chapman Mm -hmm. has that same kind of cool chorus in this song where the the tempo picks up and you're riding in the car and you, it, I don't think she ever says it out loud, but it's clearly a convertible. Like the roof <laughs> right. is down, the wind's blowing the wind, through yeah. your hair, you feel free. And I think if she had put that chorus in earlier, it wouldn't have been as successful as the song. But yeah. by the time you get to it, you know how ironic it is. I think that's true. I think, yeah, it gives you time to understand the story she's telling, right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas with Springsteen, as soon as you hear the chorus, that's all you're thinking about. That's all you're thinking about. You're not about. listening to the yeah. verses anymore. And you have to go back and listen to it again and say, mm-hmm. oh, yes, that's right. This is a this is a Vietnam vet who doesn't have a job because there aren't any to be had. Mm-hmm. Born in the USA. Yeah. 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 I, and she does, a. I mean, there's really not a happy song on this album, I wouldn't say. So, I mean... Yeah. Hopeful, Hopeful, baby, so but not happy. But yeah. And I think she's... Uh, she goes she was a protest artist i mean this these are all protest songs these are uh, you know as activist music that she managed to get into millions of homes via yeah. fast car so and i think the i think the thing that keeps this album from being like through the roof amazing great mm-hmm. is the extent to which a lot of the songs how many songs are there on here 11 songs probably about half of them are just very straight direct protest songs yeah. like it's basically an op-ed set to music Mm -hmm. and it doesn't go any deeper than that fast car is a great song because it goes deeper than that like it it sends that protest message but it doesn't do it directly it does it through a story Mm -hmm. without ever saying out loud here is the point that i'm trying to make and the other song that i really like off this album for the same reason is baby can i hold you Mm -hmm. Uh, because again it it's designed to convey a point, but it doesn't do it directly. It doesn't say, Hey listeners, here's what my message is. Mm -hmm. Like it just tells a story and lets the, lets the story speak for itself. And I think some of the more direct songs, uh, some of them work better than others. I think, um, uh, behind Behind the the wall, wall. I think definitely works. I think that's really haunting and it tells, uh, it does a good job of telling a story and also describing, yeah, you it's know, a more emotion. it's a more pointed story, but yeah. it's still a story. Whereas, like, yeah. uh, why? Yes, is more like these are just a list of questions. Yep, yep. That we're all probably you know that are not yeah. subtle necessarily or not. in any way, yeah. shape, or form. Yeah, What's they're the all one? true. Like she's raising important questions but maybe not in a way that uh yeah is any more uh, talking about a revolution kind of splits the difference between the two i think that's a pretty good one yeah it's a good lead off track yeah uh but yeah i think i think what struck me the most listening to it is how uh relevant it still felt right oh yeah it's it is uh, depressing in its own right that uh, this album from 1988 managed to last 30 years and we 
could still ask any number of the same questions she raises now. Well, I mean, go back to the the protest music from the 50s and 60s as well, right? Which is just even more depressing. Let's go back and listen to early Bob Dylan Mm -hmm. or Phil Oaks or or Marvin Gaye, even. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a... It was frustrating listening to it and just thinking, like, is, is any of it working? Yeah. Obviously, some some, some things get better some places, uh, but not enough. It doesn't seem right. Right, right. So, basically, uh, Tracy Chapman activated me. I, uh, I'm radical now. Hey. What are you going to do? Yeah. Now, the final album for this week... So, so I said at the outset that we're we're starting with Huey Lewis and we're getting increasingly serious. Mm-hmm. Tracy Chapman is the fourth album. Am I right? <laughs> is this album more serious than Tracy Chapman? It's certainly it's more depressing. I think certainly more dour. Dour. Maybe, uh, yeah, that's yeah. a good word. It's heavier. I think yeah. there's a uh, sense of dread sometimes. Yeah, but also some light uh, some light touches here and there. This uh, I am talking, of course, about. From May of 1989, Disintegration, The Cure's eighth album. And this was one, this really was one where I was like, I wanted to get this because I love a couple of the songs on here and really didn't know where to put it. So that's why it ended up in this episode. Well, I think it's correct. And I think it's a real testament to Tracy Chapman and The Cure that... Mm -hmm. We're we're sticking this into pop because it was so because they were both so successful. But at no point did either of these two bands temper or mellow their uh uh what's the word i'm looking for their aesthetic or like yeah their, their, their style stick, what, their style yeah because i mean this is a cure album mm-hmm. this is this could have gone into any one of a number of the the previous episodes it's new wavy it's post-punk like yeah. yeah and it's it doesn't stop being any of mm-hmm. those things but it's also so damn good yeah that you even if you're not a new wave fan you can't deny how good this album is mm-hmm. and at this point like i said this is their eighth album so at this point they've been you know they started very grim and and gothic uh and then got more poppy and then now this one is them kind of meeting in the middle of those two right so this is it returns to that uh, older grimier gothic sound while still keeping those pop sensibilities uh really throughout some more obviously than others but i think there's yeah. a lot of great melodies that get stuck in your head and i think the cure is one of the one of the bands of all of the ones that we've listened to the cure is the one that has the best sense of who they are mm-hmm. and what their style is uh, yeah. and they they stick to it from start to finish this is a, this is easily my favorite album of the five that we're doing yeah. this week and it might be one of my favorites of all the ones that we've done just oh, because wow. They're so clear on who they are, and mm-hmm. they're so good at realizing that. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it's anytime an artist like really finds their voice, I think is that carries a lot. You know, that makes an album go a long way. Yeah, I read somewhere someone was making the argument that the Smiths were the greatest band of all time. Partly for that reason, mm-hmm. that they have a very clear vision of who they are. They never waver from that vision, and they're so good at realizing it. They've got all of the pieces in place. They're that talented. They know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you could make a very similar argument about The Cure in this album, too. Yeah, I think so. And going back to a couple weeks ago, I might make that argument for R.E.M., too. I mean, yeah. After yeah. hearing Murmur and, and like 
knowing that 30 years ago they made what was still a very rem album yes like, yeah. they all knew exactly what they were doing from the beginning yep uh, let's see what have we got on this one let's take a listen uh you know pictures of you is probably my favorite on here still but, but for the sake of brevity i might go with love song just okay so i don't have to edit this later to right. trim out a minute of intro you're not going to trim out a minute of intro on fast car are you uh, no, you of course to. not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to listen to this later and be all real disappointed. part of that song is so iconic mm -hmm. like the lyrics robert smith's vocals the guitar that I, I have to assume that's just a casio keyboard in the background yeah. that's making that not quite organ mm -hmm. uh the not quite organ riff back there yeah yeah this is a great it's a great headphone record too yeah. so you can pick out all those little details the instrumentation instrumentation throughout the album is is really great but uh I think, uh, you know, I was watching a couple MTV this time, interviews yeah. with the band. That's how you know they're hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> this is too much for VH1. Right. We're moving up one. Well, these were actually of the time, too, okay, so they weren't gotcha. retrospective. But, uh, you know, they they singled out that song as being one that uh, it works on this album for being the more up-tempo and more bright and happy of the of the right. bunch it's it still a cure song but it's still so, a cure, yeah. like there's something not quite right about mm -hmm. this relationship yeah and it does uh stand out too like these songs average about six minutes in yeah. length and that is the shortest one on it uh but they also made this this is the first one where they had uh the cd format in mind while recording it so that is why it kind of stretches out and breathes a little more than that also makes a really big difference in terms of the the albums that we've been listening to and as we get mm -hmm. into the 90s i've noticed because i've kind of done this with the 90s that we're doing with the 80s that uh, songs and singles in the early part of the decade and this is right around that same time because this mm -hmm. is 89 they do have a tendency to stretch out longer four and a half five yeah. into six minutes and by the time you get to the end of the 90s we're back down to mm -hmm. 
two and a half, three minutes. Blur comes out with song two, which is what, like 43 seconds long or something like that. <laughs> I think it's exactly two minutes. It's exactly yeah. two minutes, yeah. And that's the that's the style at the end of the 90s because now the album, the, the CD has come out. We've explored the mm-hmm. space with that, but now we're back to just making the three-minute singles. Right. For yeah. a completely different reason uh, from when bands were doing that in the early 80s when you had to fit as much as possible onto a 45-minute LP. Mm-hmm. And I think in general for an album, that 45 to 50 minute mark is still like the sweet spot. I think so, yeah. Because, yeah, the late 80s, late 80s up through the mid 90s, a lot of those CDs that were an hour plus were like, by the end, you're like, you you're, could have cut. ready to be done. Yeah, you yeah. could have cut five or six of these, I think, and yeah. be fine. But Thanks, Billy Corgan. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Need that second Not everything CD. needs to be a double I'm album. good with melancholy. Keep the infinite sadness. Keep the infinite own. sadness, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but... I think um, one of the things, uh, this was a band too that similar to uh, R.E.M. were very collaborative. This was primarily Robert Smith's band, right? But uh, the other guys in the band, they all wrote separately and then would come together like before an album and uh, all kind of have their own little input. Simon Gallup on bass and keyboards. Boris Williams on drums, Porl Thompson guitars, Roger O'Donnell keyboards, and then Lawrence Tolhurst uh, listed here as other instruments. He was essentially forced <laughs> out of the band during this recording, so they left him on there kind of as a uh, consolation. That's that's fair. Although still very much Robert Smith's band because mm-hmm. A, it's Robert Smith on the cover of the album, yeah. and B, you did just have to look up the names the of guys, the other sure. four members of the band. Yeah three and a half members of the mm-hmm. band and even in, it's funny in some of those interviews some were interviewed all separate and then there was some where it was uh robert smith and then everybody else with like one microphone <laughs> yeah no of course but you can tell it's the curse of not being a front man uh, yeah but uh all the i mean like i said the instrumentation i think is well done throughout and i think you couldn't have that necessarily without a band that knows how to really work well together yeah big time uh I think that might about do it for pop uh, for this week. That's it. We covered the entire genre. We covered all of pop music from the 1980s. There you go. Yeah. Uh, We heard The Cure, Tracy Chapman, Janet Jackson, Tina Turner, and Huey Lewis in the news. To me, that sounds like we heard the 80s. We heard the 80s. I will see you next week. Uh, This has been Andy and Aaron Keck. We heard the 80s. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Andy Here's the 80s. I do have to quickly correct myself in regards to the heart of rock and roll. Huey Lewis does give Cleveland a quick shout-out at the end of the song, after the last chorus. Also, Steel Claw was originally both written and performed by Irish singer-songwriter Paul Brady, and it appears on his 1983 album, True For You, before Tina recorded it for Private Dancer. What's your favorite pop album from the 80s? Send me an email at andyhearsthe80s at gmail.com. That's 80s spelled out E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S at gmail.com. Or follow me on Twitter at Andy Hears It. Also, if you're enjoying the show, leave a rating and a review on whatever podcast provider you use. If there's an app or service that doesn't have the show yet, let me know, and I'll make sure it ends up there. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.